0: Hi, and welcome to the Trail to Austin, a place to get to know the people of Boston and find out how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse, and across town at in the compound is Joel McCall.
1: Hello from the compound. Indeed. How are you doing, Bob?
0: Good. How about yourself?
1: Well, I'm taking my mask off for this, but I'm going to promptly put it back on as soon as we're finished.
0: Well, you live in a dangerous household. You should do that. (laughs) So, (laughs) absolutely. So, uh, lucky us 114 tomorrow or whatever it's going to be. Welcome to summer in Austin. So, um, boy, go ahead.
1: Well, oh, I was just going to say, it just comes all at once. There's no easing into this, is there?
0: No. Yeah. But, you know, of course, summertime is vacation time. And um, <laughs> nice segue, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we have a guest with us today to talk to you about your summer vacation plans and uh, just uh, travel status in general and things like that. So... Uh, he writes a travel blog called View from the Wing, and he was the co founder of Inside Flyer. And so, with that, I want to introduce Gary Leff.
2: Well, hi there. Glad to be here. Happy to talk about travel. Happy to talk about Austin, uh, you know, my home for the last uh, going, I guess, uh, six years now.
0: Oh, so you're fairly. Where did lazy. you come
1: from? I lived in D.C. for 18 years. Congratulations on your escape.
2: That was the plan. Honestly, uh, I I described it to folks that I had done my time.
0: (laughs) So what made you pick Austin?
2: Well, honestly, you know, so I still have a job out of uh, D.C. where I, uh, which is where I get my health care. And I, during normal times, would fly there for, you know, a couple days a month. But after 18 years, my wife and I decided that, it just wasn't where we wanted to live anymore. It wasn't where we were going to want to raise raise kids. And um, because a lot of other things that I do relate to travel, it was very location independent. And we just decided, you know, of all the places that we would visit, uh, that Austin was the place that we connected with the most. We just liked it. Uh, and so what we did for a year uh, was we came here every month looking for uh, what we might not like about it to dissuade us from making the decision to move. You know, we spend, you know, long weekends. And like I say, we did it, you know, monthly for a year. And then we were surprised to find that we actually, you know, as we dug in more, you know, we enjoyed it more. So, you know, it's for me, the mental model for somebody coming from, you know, the Northeast, as I would tell people initially, that you know, many ways it's like taking, you know, San Francisco but dropping it in the middle of Texas. So you've got a you know really cosmopolitan, compact downtown. You've got you know really great food, but you've also got all of the advantages of being in Texas too. Uh, administratively, even right. So like when I first moved here, mm-hmm. I had to figure out how do I um, you know, register my business, right? And I spent like two weeks trying to find out how to get a business license. And the reason that I spent two weeks trying to figure it out. I I discovered I didn't need one, right? right? In in D.C., uh, so here's how it worked. I lived in Arlington, Virginia, just across the river from D.C. And, you know, when I I needed to get my business license, the first thing I had to do was file a parking plan. My parking plan, by the way, is I work from home, right? My car was in my space in my garage. But you have to draw that, okay? So you take the drawing, and you get the drawing stamped. Right? And once you get the drawing stamped, you could then carry it over to the business license office to get their permission to file for a a business license to pay a business license tax. And so I'm like, you're coming for this? I'm like, how do I do this? I don't even know. Okay, you don't even need, I I didn't even, this this didn't even factor into the decisions, but great uh, discovery to kind of marry the cultural, uh, you know, place, kind of the, the, the beauty and centrality of it. Uh, and the administrative piece of it, so you know it was it, it, it was a, that was a great discovery so and that's a-
1: kind of an example of why nothing gets done in washington d c <laughs> it's
2: like, I mean, this is it, it, it's almost you know north Korean in the way that it no, is this a physical, because it's not even electronic, right? It's a physical piece of paper. You had to get, get those papers stamped and the the next bureaucrat wouldn't talk to you until you got the stamp for the first one. And there was no
0: logical reason. Like what, what parking plan, right? My wife and I share a car. It's in our space. (laughs) So the month of August didn't dissuade you guys from moving here, huh? Uh, So, but, uh, so here's what, here's what I would tell people. You know, so
2: there are three things that I found people would complain about in Austin, but in every single case, they were better than DC, right? So, you know, first of all, people would complain about, you know, high housing prices, right? Because it's expensive here for Texas. Yes. But compared to the Northeast, I mean, it's not even close, right? The second thing was, uh, traffic. And look, I gotta say, you know, five o'clock on the mopocket like normal time, like normal, in normal times. Like this, this is not a, not good. But compared to DC traffic, compared to, you know, the, the, the 495 Beltway at the 270 Spur into Maryland, I mean, at, at five o'clock on a Thursday, Austin traffic is nothing. I mean, so, so this was a, this to me was an improvement. And then that final element, is the heat in the summer but look austin gets hot austin is not houston we don't get that kind of humidity dc is built on a swamp (laughs) right everyone leaves congress is out of session in august everyone leaves dc in much of july and august because it is so miserable and frankly i will take you know tomorrow's 102 here in austin over mid-90s and 90% humidity every darn day of the D.C. summer.
0: Yeah. So um, why don't you, uh, before we start getting into all the questions and stuff, why don't you uh, give our audience a little bit of your background of how you got to where you're at and then doing this travel stuff and things like that?
2: Well, so, you know, a hundred years ago, I graduated from college. I started traveling for work. And back then, you would sign up for a frequent flyer account with an airline, and they would send you stuff in the mail, right? And it was the definition for most people, a junk mail, but I would read it, and I would read all the fine print, and I would start to see some really great opportunities. You know, gosh, okay, now here's a mailer. If I uh, go to four different restaurants in town in the next three months to participate on their list, I get a whole bunch of bonus files. Well, wait a minute. It doesn't say anything about how much I have to spend at any of these restaurants. So I can pop over and have a soda charged to my credit card. And then I get all these miles. I'm like getting a free ticket. In fact, actually there was a time 15 years ago, you could you know, take soda cups out of the dumpster at a Wendy's and earn a free ticket on uh, Airtran that's now part of Southwest. Um, but just read the fine print on the things they'd send you. And there were all these, you know, great deals. And I started accumulating miles and paying attention. And I became known just among friends and acquaintances and acquaintances of acquaintances as the guy that knows about airlines and deals. And so back in 2002, when all of my friends were starting political blogs, I one weekend just decided to spin up a blog. And I didn't necessarily have anything unique to say politically that wasn't being said by someone else. Right. So what did I have? To offer, I just started writing the things that people were always asking me about uh, ab- about travel and about finding the best deals and the best rewards credit cards and uh, and so I just started writing about that and um, over time back before anybody was doing anything like it and so people started reading me and asking me questions and uh, news media started calling and it really just was an organic thing and I you know there's a you know done it and built staffs and big businesses and while they've done that, and it's great you know I've generated an audience I think pretty organically, and I've no staff at all. I write everything myself and i um you know, I have just it's been a, a a huge you know thing that I've loved for the last twenty years
0: cool so um your your blog is all written by you. Now, you were part of another one, right? Or you contribute to other ones at least, I've seen, correct?
2: Well, so, uh, I mean, I have a Forbes.com column. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my view from the wing.com site is hosted um, by a network of frequent travel sites called Boarding Area. Uh, and I have, you know, really contributed to, uh, you know, other sites. whenever When somebody asks me to do something, I, I have a hard time saying no.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> right. my sort of fundamental problem is especially if it's something for later right if you ask me to do something right now but you're busy if you ask me something later oh yeah sure that seems like a great idea until later you know it comes and becomes now and then it's like how do you do everything um, but so yeah I, I write at uh, I, I write it viewfromthewing.com and I um, have a business that helps people to use their frequent flyer miles called bookyouraward.com uh, and, and as I say I've got uh, this job out of dc still i also helped to put together something called the Freddie awards which are the uh, major consumer driven awards in uh, airline hotel and credit card loyalty so every year about four million or more ballots are cast worldwide for the best frequent flyer programs you know bonuses and everything else are, are around the world from the previous year and we in, in normal times hold a big Uh, awards gala at a pretty interesting venue where all the uh, programs come and have a, have a lovely evening, you know, dress up, take home some hardware. Uh, This year we had to do it electronically, unfortunately. You know, this is just such a, you know, such a, such a weird time.
1: Right. So who won? Who's, who's the defending champion?
2: So, you know, we have three different regions of the world, but the listeners here are going to be most interested in the Americas, and the you know consistent winner in program of the year has been uh, Southwest Airlines Rapid Rewards uh, for the last few years. They've also done very well in the the best customer service and for ability to actually use your points um, mm-hmm. for uh, a very important category of elite program for frequent travelers, folks who travel a lot get you know, special treatment, upgrades, etc. Uh, for several years, the top uh, winner there has been American Airlines Advantage.
0: Okay. So that's um, that's one of the things. Why do you think that is that Southwest is is constantly the leader? I mean, they don't have any elite. Well, I mean, they have certain awards you can get and stuff like that, but they don't have like a first-class cabin. You know, it's – Right. And so
2: And they don't win the – they don't win best elite program. Um, you know, they, although frequent customers get to board earlier, mm. you know, so you get your better seats and that's, you know, that's nice. I have you know, analyst status at Southwest because they're the largest carrier here in Austin, the most places you can go nonstop. Um, you know, but because they don't offer those perks like upgrades, uh, you're, you know, American advantage, you know, win in that category. But, you know, it is the case that it's nearly twice the percentage of seats on any given plane that's occupied by someone using their points when you're traveling on Southwest compared to any other US airline. Uh, about 14% of all of Southwest seats are generally occupied by people using points. Uh so, so how does that
1: affect their bottom line? Well, I mean
2: so it, this is the thing to know about the mileage programs is that they are actually profitable. So you it, this is the amazing thing. Frequent flyer programs are the single most effective uh, marketing tool in the history of, uh, of business. For most companies, marketing is a an expense line, right? For airlines, uh, their primary marketing program, their frequent fire programs are a profit center uh, because they drive so much consumer behavior that other businesses buy their points to use for rewards for their own customers. And obviously the biggest one is the, the banks, the ones that issue the credit cards, there are more points that are awarded for uh, credit cards than for actually flying. Um, so you know it, it, they they make money you know selling these points at a price that's higher than what it costs them to redeem the points.
1: Nice. Uh, okay. Well, all of a sudden, this makes a whole lot of sense. Um, so how has the current situation affected the redemption of these points and miles
2: well so you know when people aren't traveling they are not really redeeming their points and frankly when they're not redeeming points they're scaling back their you know the attention that they give the priority that they place on earning them in these programs and so you know you do have a scaling back of uh, generating new points from credit card spend, as people maybe move to cash back instead of their miles. I mean, that's going to change and rebound. It's not, there's nothing fundamentally that'll that'll shift over time. But you know, in the near term, there's a lot less uh, redemption going on and a lot less earning. Um, however, I, I would note that if you're thinking about travel off into the future, the fact that there are you know so many flights that don't ha- that aren't getting sold out the way that they used to. Um, it's easier than ever to redeem your miles. Uh, Just uh, over the weekend, I pointed out how you could fly uh, United to a variety of different destinations internationally in uh, business class uh, for a family of four at the Saver Award level, pretty much choosing your date in, say, February and March of next year. Uh, Whereas in the past, they've been... Difficult to get international business class awards. Uh, so yeah, we don't know which country is going to open up when and what restrictions. But one of the really nice things about frequent flyer miles is that they're so much more flexible than when you give up cash to buy a ticket. So as a general matter, you know, leaving aside the particulars of each individual program, you can cancel an award ticket, get all your miles back. You know, there may be a small cash fee to do it but it's not like buying a ticket where you know, they keep your money and then for a change fee, you can, you know, use that ticket later within a, within a short period of time. Uh, much more flexibility when you're redeeming miles than when you're buying a cash ticket, which to me is perfect in an era of uncertainty.
0: Yeah. So they um, the, what was I thinking? Oh, I have seen some things where they're um, devaluing some of the, points programs right now? Is that correct?
2: Well, so for, you know, over time, mm-hmm. um, an individual, you know, there's there's inflation of the various mileage currencies. You know, it takes more points to uh, redeem an award. Now, yeah. there's inflation historically for most you know, government-backed, uh, you know, monetary instruments, right? right. Um, but, uh, and in fact, over the long run, it hasn't been, Particularly, you know, out of whack the rate of inflation. Mostly, it's been for you know long-haul international business class awards that have gotten more uh, expensive. D- during this time, we have seen some changes where um, United has increased the number of miles required for uh, awards on their partner airlines.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, with the airlines making no money, right, and they're refunding a lot of tickets, and uh, more, you know, for a long time they were refunding. More than they were selling. And they've all been desperately trying to conserve cash. And so what United did was say, okay, if you're going to make us spend money to buy you a ticket on a different airline, we're going to charge you more. Right. Uh, they're it trying. Makes to, sense. And there, there, there it's about trying to keep customers on their own planes rather than burn cash.
0: Right. No, so the, uh, as you were talking about, some of those air national trips uh, what are your I, well I guess they what you're saying then basically is if you want to book it with frequent flyer miles to one of those destinations say in South America that's right now not accepting Americans you know assuming the com- country didn't uh, open up in time for your ticket you'd just redeposit the points right yeah
2: if, if the airline if the airline cancels your flight it's not going to cost you anything. Uh, if you choose to cancel the flight, uh, there'll be a, there'll be a fee, but you just cancel and redeposit your points.
0: Right. Okay. So that bringing that up, I've heard that there's a, uh, they're expecting a lot more demand for domestic travel this year. You know, they're saying, uh, national parks are going to be one of the hot places to go this year and, and just staying within the U.S. where it's a little easier. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we're already
2: starting to see, uh, so domestic travel comes back first. Mm-hmm. And leisure travel, for the most part, comes back first. Um, so, you know, a lot of big businesses aren't asking people to travel in, in many cases, you know, for the rest of the year. And even where business travel exists, you know, it's not going to be all business travel that comes back. We're not going to see big uh, conventions, uh, you know, big meetings and events, you know, hundreds of people, thousands of people gathering in one spot, um, and and those. Events actually take a really long time to put together. They're often contracted years in advance. And people only go to them when they know all the other people that are going to be there, right? So there's this coordination issue and waiting until you know that there's value. So that kind of business travel isn't coming back anytime soon. And, you know, international, we're just starting to figure out uh, when different countries are going to be opening up. And in many cases at the pain, we just saw uh, Sri Lanka announce that you're going to have to get a, a COVID-19 test before you fly. You're going to have to get one when you arrive and you're going to have to get another one after you've been there for four or five days. And then wow. you may even get a fourth, you know, if you're stay if you're staying for, you know, over 10 nights in the country. Right. And so, okay, right. you know, you can do it, um, but it becomes, you know, costly and, and and burdensome and just things that people aren't, you know, jump running towards. Uh, so, you know, domestic comes back a lot earlier. We're seeing certainly a lot of uh, flights uh, filling up to domestic resort sort of destinations. A lot of flights to Florida, a lot of even the 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 Gulf Coast um, into July when people expect Hawaii to be uh, open and accepting visitors without quarantine. A lot of Hawaii travel uh, as well, Uh, and the airlines are beginning to add back flights. Uh, American Airlines especially aggressively with 55% 55% of comparable last summer uh, domestic flying uh, in July, right? A, a lot more than the, you know, 15% that we were seeing.
0: Right. So the the other thing I was thinking is, in your opinion, based on what you've seen so far, will will some companies learn that they don't need to send people places? to get stuff done to take more advantage of the materials like this, like Zoom and stuff like that?
2: Well, yeah, there's no question that, you know, there will be some business travel that would have happened before that'll happen uh, electronically video and whatnot. Now um, it, I think a lot of we did, we have learned out of this that, you know, it's not as you know, bad as some people thought. And it's also a lot easier to coordinate than it, people used to think because everyone and I had to take the, uh, the, the plunge overcome, you know, to incur the costs of setting up virtually, figuring out what is the software and how does it work, right? And having done that, it's much easier to, you know, coordinate electronic uh, discourse. Now, sure. I don't think that that's, that doesn't spell the end of business travel, but it does mean along certain margins that there are trips that would have happened in the past that no, that won't anymore. And, um, I think it takes away some of the airline pricing power against business travelers as well. What I mean there is that, you know, there used to be, you know, business might pay whatever price asked uh, for that last minute ticket. Now, if it's just too expensive, you know, at the margin, okay, well, we'll at least bring some of the people in by video.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. Because there was a, a lot of times you would have a meeting and you're thinking, could I just be on the phone <laughs> yeah. or something like that? Um, so the other funny thing, the other trend I keep hearing about this year is RVs. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, you know, um, I, I certainly don't consider myself an expert on RVs. Uh, to me, uh, it is a, you know, it, it's a hassle and expense. It's a lifestyle that appeals to some people. I'm not sure that it works on a, a drop-in basis for the casual traveler, you know, as a substitute for uh, the resort that they might have uh, stayed at in normal times. Uh, I mean, sure, people, more people are going to try it. Some will like it, but uh, I'm not sure that it's a, a a real replacement.
0: Yeah. And personally, how do you feel about getting on a plane right now?
2: Yeah, so it's weird, right, because – you know I, I i would personally stay away from small regional jets they don't have necessarily the same uh air filtration that bigger planes have but look you know we ha- we have not seen uh air planes themselves be a significant vector of spread of the virus we haven't traced you know big clusters back to people getting infected on planes and whether that's because of the you know, hospital grade half air filtration that they have. So you've got to basically be like, right, you know, pretty much right next to somebody uh, who's got the virus. If you're going to pick it up from them, you're not going to get it from someone you know at the back of the plane, um, whether it's because we don't talk that much on planes. So there's just not that much in the way of respiratory <laughs> droplets or whether it's because, you know, we're just facing forward, uh, not looking. in it, it's maybe it's some combination. We haven't seen that much uh, spread on planes. You know, it's not necessarily all that pleasant. You know, (laughs) I I think different airlines are handling this very differently. I I I do have to applaud uh, Delta in really in committing through the end of September uh, not to uh, sell all the not to sell their middle seats. It it does you're not really socially distancing if you're only um, you know 18 inches apart from someone, but you know it's still a nice comfort level. You know, I'm not super concerned about uh, flying domestically. You know, internationally, the biggest thing I'd be concerned about is, well, what if you pick up the virus abroad and then you're forced to quarantine you know, where you are for 14 yeah. days, right? And are you somewhere where you're comfortable with the, you know, w- with the healthcare system there uh, for treatment? Uh, you know, there's just a lot more that goes into the calculation. Um, whereas, you know, look, if if you're somewhere that there's not a huge amount of virus spread and you're going somewhere that there's not a huge amount of virus spread, you know, sure. Um, make sure you're going somewhere that, you know, the things you're going to want to do are open. <clears throat> do the research. One of the things that I've seen is, you know, people going to places in Mexico, landing and finding that what they wanted is closed. Uh, and, and turning back around and coming home to the States. Like, do your research before you go at this point because the you know, situation on the ground really does vary uh, tremendously.
0: Speaking of which, so I saw like. an article this morning um, talking about some of the giveaways that some countries are doing trying to get people back. Uh, I noticed one in Cancun was doing, uh, you rent two nights, they give you two nights. Are there any great deals out there you know of like that?
2: Yeah, so this this is the thing is that right now that there is you know more capacity to host travelers then there are people traveling and whenever you have got that kind of a mismatch, you're going to see deals for a while, right? Until travel really comes back. You know, there's all these articles out about how much more expensive travel is going to be. Don't believe it. Uh, there are some expenses going to some places that you wouldn't have had before. I mentioned Sri Lanka earlier. If you would have traveled there now, you know, there's a new hundred dollar fee for everyone that shows up, right? That didn't used to exist, but you know, for the most part, you're going to see airline deals. You're going to see hotel deals. Uh, today, Hyatt just announced their chain, you know, new bonuses, you know, triple points through September you know, for staying at their hotels. Right? They're giving away points like crazy. You know, there are tremendous deals in Vegas, Vegas reopening. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, It's going to be a much better time to be a traveler from the perspective of what you get, you know, for your cost. Uh, than it has been over the last five years.
0: Hey, Joel, I think I stepped on you a moment ago. Do you have something? <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, well, you write about
1: what the different airlines are doing in light of the pandemic, you know, the social distancing and the the sanitation. Uh, who's doing a good job? You, you had mentioned Delta. Uh, I had seen tweets of people complaining that airlines were advertising, you know, six feet separation and and just saying that that's entirely not true. Uh, What has been your experience with that? Well, I think a lot of
2: what we've seen on social media has been about full planes, right? You know, where you show up and, you know, most of the seats are taken. And, you know, while most flights haven't been full, When people have, you know, people have been expecting to have pretty empty flights and they show up and all those middle seats are taken. So Delta is not going to sell up to the point where they have to fill their middle seats right now. United takes the position that if you want to buy a ticket from them, they're going to take your money. And, you know, they just will try to reach out to people a day before travel and say, if your flight's going to be full, You know, if you don't want to travel on that flight, we won't charge you a fee to change your travel plans. Um, But if you want to travel, you know, get on board with everyone else. Um, You know, we've seen some limitation on the number of seats that American will sell, not to the extent of Delta. Um, JetBlue's been pretty good. Um, And, you know, Southwest has been as well. Um, Then separate from all of that is the uh, sort of cleaning regimen that they all go through. Uh, you know, Delta has uh, taken steps where this summer they'll be doing, um, uh, you know, spray disinfectant spraying of all planes between every flight, not just overnight, like several airlines are doing. Um, you know, ultimately and you know, over time, that's not going to be sustainable because it takes time. You know, airlines, when planes are on the ground, they're not making money. Uh, it's very costly. But, you know, for now... Uh, it's something that with, you know, so many planes parked, they've got plenty of planes. Uh, it's something that they were managing to do. It's not going to be sustainable. Um, but for now, it's something that makes people, and it gives them extra confidence uh, that, you know, even if uh, surfaces aren't a primary means by which the virus spreads, um, you know, you don't know who was sitting there before you, you know, what they were shoving in the seat's back pocket. Um So, you know, extra cleaning and all of the airlines are doing extra cleaning uh, is something that is, uh, is is certainly helpful.
0: Okay. And what about hotels? Who's doing a good job there and where are they doing different? Well, at the chain level,
2: they all have new cleaning programs, uh, much more extensive cleaning, uh, as well as efforts to keep you know, guests spaced away from each other and spaced away from hotel staff. Um, it's a little bit early to know who's doing well there because the hotel chains don't own most of the hotel properties. And so what's going to happen is here are all of these uh, uh, rules and procedures and access to cleaning supplies. But the question is going to be who actually implements it well in practice and who doesn't give it the attention. And there's going to be monitoring of this because it reflects on the brand. But, you know, ultimately there will be some uh, properties, regardless of brand, probably, uh, that that scamp. And it's going to take a little bit of time to suss out which those are.
0: Okay. And, Joel, did you have any other uh, pandemic-based travel questions? If not, we can move to just general travel questions. (laughs) I'm, I'm I do have one question. Has the advent
1: of the Uber uh assuaged your dislike for taxicabs?
2: Well, so I um I I you know, right now during the pandemic, I'm not super keen on either, right? But uh, in, in in normal times, um, you know, I have you know first of all, you know, the ability I, I don't blame the tax Themselves for the frustrations. I blame you know, the cities and the regulation that has, in many cases, capped the number of taxis so that there hasn't been enough. Um, and you know, regulated pricing where you know maybe it's not even high enough to get there would be enough drivers on the road. Oftentimes, where you know, there's not because of regulated pricing, there hasn't been the you know the, the um, investment in technology. And so, you know, calling a cab can be a, a pain and knowing when it's actually going to show up. Um, so the, I think the advent of Uber has been a huge convenience to pretty much know that you can always get a ride. Uh, you don't have to worry about that, so you don't always have to drive yourself, uh, which is good from my perspective for, you know, reducing DUIs, right? Um, just the that confidence. Um, there's nothing fundamental about whether it's a taxi or somebody you know not working for a taxi company, it's the regulatory regimes I think that have you know stifled uh, transportation, ground transportation, uh, that created this opportunity uh, to you know where where people were unsatisfied with the product. I can't tell you the number of times in New York City I finally waved down a cab and they wouldn't take me because they didn't want to go in the direction I wanted to go, right? Um, and that's. You know, so not enough cabs, and then you know, yes, the rules say they're supposed to, but you know, in practice, so what? Um, that's so uh, more. I, I view more, uh, you know, more options certainly being better here.
0: All cool, right. thank you. So we're going to take ourselves a quick break here, and we'll come back with Gary and talk to him just general travel stuff. Hi everyone. Uh hope you're enjoying the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed every time you listen to it. We're trying our best to bring you the best guests and and the most interesting topics that we can. Uh so if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd ask you to do us a favor. Please tell a friend, tell tell a family member, tell a coworker, knock on your next-door neighbor's door and just say, "Hey man, you all listen to this podcast." Just help us get the word out there and that will help us get more interesting guests and continue to bring you, you know, the best shows that we can. So anyway, uh, that's all I've got for now. And back to the show. All right. We're back from break and this is your host, Bob Morris. I'm here with Joel McColl and we're talking with Gary Leff about the travel industry. Uh, we've been talking about pandemic kind of travel questions now, I want to go to just a little more uh, general travel questions, and this one's going to be a little self-serving to the people here in Austin, so bear with me for a second. But uh, I've noticed in the past, Gary, when I've tried to uh, book a frequent flyer ticket somewhere, if I try to leave out of Austin, it's almost impossible to get a ticket. Now, if I want to drive to Dallas or Houston, no problem. You know, where do you want to go? Um, so is that the case? Is it just that choked off here?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of folks realize how busy the Austin airport has been, how much traffic has grown here in the last several years. And what that's meant is that planes have been full. And until recent, well, until, you know, a year ago, when additional gates were opened at the airport, you really, and so you had a lot more passengers, and these passengers were filling up a fixed number of flights because the airport just couldn't take more. And as a result, airfares out of Austin have been high. And without uh, with, without planes go running with empty seats, airlines haven't wanted to make a whole lot of those seats available as uh, awards. Right, So Austin has been tough to get award seats from because of the growth uh, in demand that has outpaced the growth at, you know, of the airport, again, up until the release, you know, the opening of these uh, new gates, which has been nice. And we had a lot of planned uh, growth that now with the pandemic, we're not seeing right away. We didn't get the inauguration, for instance, of the KLM flight to Amsterdam. And we get put off the uh, Norwegian flight to Paris that was supposed to launch this year as well. Um, So we're we're supposed to see a lot of new flights and this is all going to help. But it's because planes out of here have been full that it's been tough to get awards now without full planes, but you know, that may change.
0: Yeah. And some of the ones that they have been in the past, you know, it, like I said, it seemed to be easier to go to Dallas or uh, Houston, but some, are there other cities that would be better to check from? Well, no,
2: I mean, so the nice thing is, if you're going to drive to Dallas or Houston, you can probably get a nonstop flight to where you're going, right? If right. and that's worth doing, especially if you're traveling internationally. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you know drive to San Antonio to connect to Dallas, right? right. Um, you might as well just drive to Dallas. Um, so, given the given the number of nonstop flights. Uh, you can make up some of that uh, driving time when you're driving to one of the big hubs.
0: Yeah. So, and then of course the trend over the last few years, they they love uh, shoving us in smaller and smaller seats. Do you think what's going on right now with this pandemic is going to reverse any of that?
2: Um, it may slow it down, uh, which is that there's not a whole huge reason for most airlines to rip out seats. Uh, to add more, which costs money, uh, because they're not going to be filling those seats for a while. Uh, the odd thing is that American Airlines has had a program. When, when American Airlines and U.S. Airways merged, take a basic Boeing 737,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, there were 150 seats in those 737s. And then when U.S. Airways management took over, they quickly, uh, went through a program to add seats, to add 10 seats. And so they increased them up to 160. And the program that they've been running through now is to take those same planes and add 12 more seats. So there's 172. So, you know, in 2004, 150 seats, right? In 2020, 172 seats. And you'd think that since they're not selling these seats now, Mm -hmm. and because the last thing they need to do is burn cash, that they would be putting a pause on this program. Except they're not. Oh, <laughs> they like are. You know, they are still running planes through and you know, adding seats to planes on, on American. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily see the new programs like that coming up in the uh, in the near future, though.
0: Well, they, uh, at what point does it become a safety issue? Because I'm a little over six foot tall and I have really long legs, and there, I'm already. You know, dug into the back of the seat in front of me, right? I, I mean, how much smaller can they make it?
2: Well, I, here's what I'll say: There is that U.S. Airlines uh, when, when when American Airlines shrinks the amount of room in their seats, um, they still have more room than you get flying Spirit today. Oh, yeah, uh, and many you know many European carriers are similar to Spirit. You know, twenty nine inches you know, as, as pretty standard between, you know, from seat back to seat back. Well, um, so the ones that are shrinking and adding more seats are moving towards something that other airlines are already doing. And as far as the, I, I will say, you mentioned the safety issue. Um, you know, the FAA believes that this is safe and the issue is uh, time to evacuate a plane. Right. And so it's less about how dense together people are, but you know, the number of people in a plane matters a lot. For how quickly can everyone get out? Uh, historically in recent time years, they've done computer modeling of this. And the computer models tell them it's fine. There was a lawsuit, um, that was proceeded that, that said to the FAA, you know, you haven't demonstrated that, you know, that the mechanisms that you've just told us that what you're doing is sufficient to meet the requirements. You haven't actually demonstrated it. You haven't, you know, told us how you're, uh, how you're really meeting the requirements. You've got to go back and do a lot more work to certify that some of this, what they call densification of planes, is actually safe and, and, you know, to be announced. But That said, it's hard to imagine that they tell, you know, say American Airlines they can't go to 30 inches. The more likely thing would be cracking down on a Spirit, which, if you fly American, isn't actually so good, right? So the fact is that Spirit's low prices drive down the prices that everyone else charges. Even those airlines that are giving you more space. So what winds up happening is they crack down on a spirit. Um, you wind up just paying more for the same little space you get now on American.
0: Right. So <laughs> I went and flew um, several years back. We flew over to Spain and had to fly coach on the way over there. And I was just lucky. Nobody was in the seat next to me. You know, so I could turn my legs sideways because I couldn't sit like that for yeah you know, that long. And then once we got to Spain, yeah, you know, we wound up in France and we took a, a flight within France on Air France and it was like luxurious. Yeah. <laughs> Look at all this leg room I got. Yeah, it was. So I, it seems like on international flights, especially they I don't know how much lower they can go.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, every so often, uh, speaking of intra-European travel, Michael O'Leary, who runs Ryanair, uh, we'll have one of two things that he'll, you know, say he wants to do. And, I, and he's not ever really going to do these things. He just hasn't gotten media attention in a while. He says either he's going to charge for the use of the lavatory, mm-hmm. uh, or he's going to make all the passengers stand up.
0: Yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> the stand-up.
2: <laughs> These are never actually going to happen, uh, even though there have been you know mock-ups of airline seats that are more like saddles, mm-hmm. or that you know have, have you sort of half-standing at an angle. Um, you know, we're not, we're not going to have those things, but yeah, uh, you know,
0: but but you know, theoretically, <laughs> yeah, cattle cars. I like it. Well, you know, that's what they call used to call Southwest, but then Southwest is now one of the more uh, comfortable planes to be on. <laughs> you know, they seem well, like uh, they have a little yeah. more room.
2: It's, you know, it's, it's true um, that they haven't added uh, seats the way that others have. And you generally get your 31 inches from seat back to seat back. Uh, like, and then, of course, if you're on a flight that isn't full, then you use strategy, right, to figure out mm-hmm. how to get that empty seat next to you. Yeah, I I know people who you know take a a bunch of tissues, crumple them up, and put them in the seat, right? And just don't say anything, and nobody's going to sit down because you know this is pre-pandemic times. Like now, they you'd be it'd be dangerous to do this because (laughs) everyone thinks you got coronavirus, right? But you know, you just can crumple up a bunch of tissues, you know, or make yourself look as 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 big as possible and spill over into the seat, right? And then just don't make eye contact with anyone. Everyone's got their strategies for how you you know keep that empty. Uh, middle seat next to you on Southwest.
0: So, any other cool strategies you can give out
2: uh, for Southwest? No, just in I mean, general. I mean, you know, well, you know, I mean, two people traveling together ought to book a, a aisle seat and a uh, and a window with that middle empty, and ho- hopefully nobody takes it. And if somebody you know does, then you, you trade. But, you know, one of the things very few people realize is that you can actually, on most airlines, buy a second seat, which when fares are really low, can be a pretty great value. So if there's, you know, maybe fifty bucks for an extra coach seat, you know, buy that extra middle. And airlines have these ability, the ability to do that because really they're, you know, they're setting themselves up to be able to accommodate uh, passengers of size. But you know, most carriers make that available to anyone that asks.
0: Cool. So now let's talk just briefly about credit cards because I know you have a lot of. Um, Kind of articles on that, tips for people and stuff like that. What are, you, what are your thoughts right now on what are the great deals out there?
2: Well, so I think it starts with understanding what a credit card can do to drive value to you and then understanding, you know, why you have it in your wallet and what you're using it for. So basically a credit card is going to do three different things. There may be a lot of value in an initial bonus, a sign-up offer, um, you know, 70,000 miles in, in your preferred program. Great, you know, get the card, earn that bonus. Um, doesn't mean you necessarily want to keep the card or use it. Right? So here are the other two areas of value. You know, one is actually rewarding you well for your ongoing spend. So I don't ever want to earn just one mile per dollar. And I'll tell you in a second how you avoid ever only one mile per dollar. Um, but you want to make sure that the card that you're uh, that you're using uh, gives you the best rewards for the. Uh, for both, A, the reward goals you have, right? So it, you know don't earn Southwest points if your goal is you know business class zero, right? Because the program doesn't operate. Make sure your reward goals match what you're earning. But then also that the card that you have earns the uh, most points possible for the kinds of things that you spend the most on. Uh, the most valuable points tend to be uh, points in the bank programs like Chase, American Express, Citibank where you can choose what airline you want to transfer your points to later based on who has the availability that you want, you know, what account you need to top off. Having that degree of flexibility is very valuable versus locking yourself into one airline. And the third kind of uh, value are, you know, perks or benefits for having the card that again doesn't necessarily mean that you have to even use the card. But, you know, maybe it's an American Express Platinum card that gets you into a lot of airport lounges. Maybe your card gives you an annual companion uh, ticket uh, for, you know, you bring somebody with you for, you know, when you you buy yourself a ticket. Um, Or maybe it's something like, you know, trip delay and cancellation coverage. You know, most Chase cards have this, um, but Citibank and Barclays have gotten rid of it out of their portfolios where, you know, a number of times I've been stranded overnight at an airport and, you know, guy, okay, you know, I, I go get myself a hotel room, I go buy myself a meal and I send the bill to my credit card company or my bags are lost and whatever I spend in incidentals up to a hundred bucks a day, the credit card company I use to buy the ticket reimburses me. Right? So, you know, trip delay, lost baggage, these kinds of extra things, or if I need to have a car towed, right? You know, a lot of the cards just give you uh, towing coverage. We've been, you know, so you don't necessarily need to buy a trip delay. You've got, you know, towing with that, uh, with a credit card. So, you know, I, I think about these things differently because I okay so sign-up bonus. You know, that's a reason to get the card, not a reason to keep it or spend on the card. Then, you know, so, so maybe you have a card for the benefits. You make sure that the benefits you're deriving from it are worth more to you than the annual fee, if there is one. And then earn points for your spending in the most valuable currency possible at the fastest rate possible. Uh, and here, it often involves uh, pairing two different cards. As a for instance. If I had, you know, for the last four years, Chase's Sapphire Reserve has been really popular with, um, people who travel a lot, getting triple points on, um, all airline, hotel, and other travel spend, as well as four points on dining, uh, but only one point on everything else. Well, what you do then is you get a Chase Freedom Unlimited card, no annual fee card. It earns one and a half points per dollar on everything. So you, put everything that doesn't earn a travel or dining bonus on that freedom unlimited card and earn one and a half points instead of one. And you move all your freedom unlimited points over to your Sapphire reserve card where they have more value, right? So you get this and each of the major issuers has a kind of one, two combination like that. Um, you know, where uh, you know, you have the uh, American express has the, um, uh, uh, blue uh, business uh, plus card that earns two points per dollar on everything uh, for the first 50,000 on spend every year. So you put a lot of your spending on maybe a gold card that earns four points per dollar at supermarkets and at restaurants, three points on travel, and then you earn two points on everything else with this other card. You combine them into the same account. E-Bank, Premier, and Prestige have have their premium cards and then a double cash that earns two points on everything. So a a two-card strategy to make sure that you never earn you know, just one mile per dollar for your spending. And so, so that- do you have
1: a spreadsheet to help you keep track of all of this? Uh,
2: well, I mean, I just keep track of it <laughs> in my head, but but, um, but spreadsheets are one way to do it.
0: Yeah, so I was okay. going to ask if he had a cheat sheet on his website for this.
2: <laughs> I mean, I do. I, I I do write about this absolutely. No, so, what's good. your
1: favorite? What's your favorite airport?
2: I mean, it so it depends for what. Um, you know, I mean, I love. Boy, it's it's so nice when I take an international flight back to Austin, land, and I'm already basically home, and not having to have another you know connection after that. Um, in terms of places to connect, uh, or just the the sheer wonder of the airport. There's no airport in the world like uh, you know Singapore's airport uh, that has an indoor movie theater that has airfly gardens. Uh, I mean, and the food is you know, spectacular. Uh, so it, it's going to depend on for what, as a general rule, the way that I think about airports is that the role of an airport is to, um, you know, get you through as quickly as possible and into the sky. So, you know, I'm not super interested most of the time in the, you know, retail shopping. I want an airport that you can drive up to where security is right there. You go through security and the gates are right there. And you're onto the plane um, you know, and that the airport is hopefully you know, close to a city center uh, or at least well-connected with transit. Uh, that's why I, you know, I, I don't love what they're doing with New York airports. They're basically spending you know, 10, uh, 10 billion on each of JFK and Luwadia and not making them more efficient for getting a airport. uh which again, to me, an airport is for getting someplace.
0: Yeah. They uh, So you weren't here when Austin had their old airport, but I used to fly in out of it every week. And uh, I'd have somebody drop me off at the front door, you know, and I've, I might have been 50 feet from the front door to the, my gate and had to pass through, you know, at that time, minor security. It was basically, you know, put your bag on the conveyor belt and walk through the metal yeah. detector. Yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. But you could you could show up ten minutes before your flight left and make the flight. Yeah, well, and, it, you, and the it, truth it, is you <laughs> still can, you still can
2: at the Austin Air. Like If you're leaving out of, call it Gate Twenty Two, used to be Gate Thirteen before they renumbered them a year ago, right? You know, you you just pull up, and again, security is right there. If you've got pre-check, so you don't have a long wait at security, usually, uh, you're right through in minutes, and the and the gates right there. So honestly, you know when my wife and I were looking at where we were going to live uh, we bought a house, I told her we, I didn't want to be more than uh, you know more than twenty five minutes to the airport, okay so in the worst of traffic we're you know, twenty four minutes to the airport okay so you know i I have no problem my you know my my usual is I leave home about an hour ten prior to departure uh, which puts me you know, at the airport, about, you know, 45 minutes to take off um, through security at the gate before they start boarding. Of course, I don't actually most of the time want to be the first to board. I'd rather be the last to board as long as I don't wind up having to gate-check a bag, if there's overhead bin space, right? Why do I want to spend more
0: time, you know,
2: in a metal tube? So do you have something,
0: Joel? Joel? Well, no. I was just going to say that used to be
1: a uh, a game we played when it was the old Austin Airport was to see how close to your ETD you could get and
0: still make the flight. You had
1: one concourse and, and
0: eight gates. You know. So. Oh, I had a friend of mine one time. We were having to fly up to Dallas for something. We were we were all coworkers, and he used to play that game, and he literally knocked on the door. Of the plane, <laughs> and they actually opened it. <laughs> he was like, yeah, oh, I cut that one a little too close. Um, so another thing we, uh, we try to do, Gary, is, uh, we try to have a little fun with our guests every week and, uh, especially any first time guest. And I, I know yourself, you've, uh, you've been on Colbert's show. So you, you have a little bit of a sense of humor about things. So. We're going to ask you a couple questions here and get your response. So, uh, okay. what, and some of them aren't that funny, but there's a few that give you some room to play with, right? So we, we covered all about your moving here and, and all that type of stuff, but what, what's kind of your favorite Austin experience so far? You know, it could be a festival, could be, you know, a concert, a,
1: Oh, so, I mean, look, I
2: um, I usually tried to leave town during South by, um, although it's still pretty cool. Some of the um, folks, some of the things that the brands do to impress everyone there. Uh, one year, uh, GoGo, the in-flight internet provider, brought their test plane, and I got to, you know, go up into that uh, just, to, just to use the internet, right? We flew around for a while um, to show how fast they could make it go. That was pretty cool. But I mean, like, I, I love Trail of Lights every year. And, you know, call it corny, but, you know, it's just, I, I think it's a lot of fun to walk around and goodness to be able to walk, walk around outside in Austin in December. Uh, which is certainly something I wouldn't have ever done when I lived in the Northeast. And you've got your food trucks and, you know, I mean, I, 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 I love, you know, food truck events at like the long center in the summers um, you know, once a month and those are great because so we've got so many different, uh, kinds of food and experimentation and the low cost of really starting up something like that compared to a restaurant. I think mean, lets a lot of people try it and, you know, do, you know, different things and not have to appeal to such a wide variety of taste that they can actually do some, some real quality. Um, but having them, you know, as the trail of lights and walking through,
0: that's probably my favorite thing every year. Okay, and what would be an example of some cool find you once you stumbled across here? You know that you were like, "Hey, nobody told me about this, but this was very cool."
2: I mean, so I mean, I think the thing that uh, about Austin is that um, all of the food is above average. <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure that I found a really bad meal, and I've stumbled upon some really great meals when I first started coming here look, in my mind, it was all about the barbecue, and and everyone, and there are a lot of people <clears throat> who know how to really cook meat here. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, I you know, I used to have a barbecue at home when I lived in D.C. I don't have one anymore, because, look, I can get, you know, and much better than I could ever make myself. It was such convenience uh, that I'm not going to, that I'm not going to smoke anything at home. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, look, just, just the experimentation of small uh, restaurants and trying things new uh, has been the, the the best find. But it's also something I started to realize coming here before I moved here. And it was one of the real sell, you know, selling points for me.
0: Well, that's funny that you coming from where you came from are saying that because I can promise you, Joel's probably sitting here laughing right now because 20 years ago, nobody would have said that about this place. <laughs> The biggest complaint
1: when I moved here was there's no place to eat.
0: Hmm. <laughs> it, it was yeah. all geared towards college students and super cheap. So. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. yeah, and, and and there are some things I wish we had better. <clears throat> you know, in Northern Virginia, we have some of the best Thai and Vietnamese in the country. Mm-hmm. And what we have here doesn't measure up in those dimensions. Um, but, you know, it's
0: trade-offs. Yeah, no, that's one of the, the things oh. that Austin's a little – I would say behind on is you don't have really high quality ethnic foods necessarily from certain regions. Yeah, you know, like I, I had to work two years in Houston and you name it, you can get it and it, it's all going to be good. So that's one of the little different things about here. Unfortunately, it's Houston. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's always that. So, um, <laughs> what's been your biggest disappointment so far? Oh,
2: I mean, not so much about the city, right? Because as I say, the things that people complain about were all actually improvements for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I guess maybe, maybe it's this, as quickly as Austin has grown. You know, when I moved here, I was kind of like this, outsider. I've been here for long enough. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a native. I'm not a lifetime person here, but I'm long enough that I'm no longer an interloper. <laughs> um, but, you know, say back, you know, six years ago, I, you know, I, after I moved here, uh, John Stewart did his show from Austin for a week. And I remember they had a segment where they sent a reporter out to the um, border to document the immigration crisis. But it was the immigration crisis into Austin.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? So, so he had, so he had someone standing out on 35. Uh, or maybe it was the Mopac. Um, and then they were doing all these man on the street interviews and somebody says, you know, gosh, Austin is nothing like it was when I moved here six days ago.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and. Perfect. Um, yeah, you know, um, uh, I already, I already found myself saying, well, you know, gosh, it's changing so much uh, over the last six years. So, you know, and 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 it makes sense. And you can't keep something static exactly the way that it is. Um, it's a desirable place to be. People come here. Uh, they're not the people that were already here. Uh, it, it it'll always change the tenor of something, and that's you know that that, that that's fine. It's natural. Um, but you know, even noticeable in my short time.
0: Well, Norm. Normally we ask this next question last, but since you went in that direction, we're, we'll go ahead and uh, ask it now. So what advice, other than don't, would you give somebody who wanted to move here?
2: Oh, gosh. You know, um, I mean, other than don't move here, the advice would be do, right? Because, <laughs> uh, um, you know, I mean, I did. I'm happy. I don't regret it in the leaves. Um you know i'm able to you know get so much more here than I could where i was uh, you know i I love being outside in the quote unquote winter um great food and great culture and um you know and uh, I mentioned earlier the administrative benefits of being in state of Texas um so yeah you know i i've got no i've got no regrets I do think it matters where you choose to live think strategically in terms of where you want to center yourself because the traffic uh, isn't getting better, uh, you know, so for me, it was important to have proximity to the airport. And so, you know, understanding what that meant, because if I were to add, you know, 15 minutes even per trip, I mean, that's half an hour on a round trip. Right. And then, then I'm just adding incrementally a day a year to my, it, it, of extra commuting uh, back and forth to the airport. So, you know, the, the thing that we have most preciously is time. So be strategic about location.
0: Yeah. And so far, this week's final question, we'll do it a little differently now. Um, since Austin's uh, motto is keep Austin weird, what's the weirdest thing you've seen since you've been here? Oh. I mean, Look, I think
2: keep, we, keep Austin weird, like the weird doesn't actually mean weird. Um, the weird means, um, local, different, unique, uh, sort of non-homogenized, right? Um, and so it's, it might as well be keep Austin Austin. Um, but yeah, you know, gosh, are there, are there weird things? Um, yeah. I mean, so I think we have probably weirder graffiti, uh, than in a lot of places. Um, (laughs) You know, early in the year and last, you know, last year, uh, I saw spray painted on a bridge, "Beto has herpes." Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw it, it a "Do not," "I do not enter" sign that that was changed to "Do not," you know, "Go to war, enter peace." Like right. it was a little bit complicated, but you know, okay, I'm with it, right? Right. Um, so I think, yeah, okay, actually, weird stuff. We have weird thing people put weird graffiti
0: that qualifies so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, an assignment before we talk next um, you need to attend the Eeyore's birthday party my friend <laughs> if if the graffiti was the weirdest thing you've seen you need to spend an afternoon out there okay so. it
1: happens in April right. last week of April so we did that Saturday have it this in year. April in Pete Park. Yeah. yeah,
0: that, that's something you... the pandemic doesn't kill us all. Yeah. So that's something that, uh, yeah, we'll, when you see it, you'll understand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gary, go ahead and plug your sites. What you got going on? Well, you can find me
2: at viewfromthewing.com, uh, where I cover all the, you know deals in frequent flyer miles, and making the best use of rewards cards, uh, and traveling the world at low cost and enjoying, you know, luxury travel. So you know, come check me out.
0: All right, Thank you. Joel. Anything coming
1: up you'd need to plug? Well, I've got a live stream happening this Wednesday the tenth. That's June. 10th. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we saw that with uh,
0: yeah.
1: uh from the David? new world Facebook page. Yeah. With with David
0: Pokingham. Yeah, excellent. Well, Gary, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for, uh, jumping right on when we, we asked you. And, uh, you know, I'd like to talk to you later about maybe saying up a recurring thing every so often. Maybe you could come on and answer some, we could get the listeners to uh, fire some questions in via the internet or something and see if we can we could do something like that, but I'll talk to you afterwards. So happy to do it. Yeah, fantastic! Thank you so much, Gary. It was a
1: pleasure speaking with you.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks to y'all and to uh, and everyone listening. All right, and that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on the Trail to Austin. Bye.